Hello, hello, and welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, it is Wednesday, so you know it is VSF Day, and I'm Karen Tate, uh, your hostess here for the last 13 years, and I uh, am so happy to uh, have another great guest uh, to add to our uh, growing and relevant um, archive of wisdom. Uh, but before we get to that guest, I just want to uh, give a shout out to um, uh, to Celia uh, for uh, her music that we're using this show, and uh, that single of hers is called uh, Meta Prayer. And uh, I just want to give out uh, a, a shout of gratitude that I'm actually here with you today. Uh, I, I worried all day about our electricity being cut off. And uh, you know what I'm talking about if you're living in central California because uh, uh, with the wildfire threat and the heavy winds and the failure of the uh, electric companies uh, to um, spend money to upgrade, uh, upgrade the grid, uh, what they do now is they think there's going to be a big um, – you know, big wind that could potentially uh, cause a fire, they just uh, shut off the electricity to millions of people. And um, we are under that threat uh, all day today and tomorrow and maybe the next day. So anyway, I am so glad to be with you and to have electricity tonight. You know, you think we were living in the dark ages or something. So, Anyway, let's go ahead and uh, shift over to something positive. Uh, our wonderful guest tonight and uh, uh, the wisdom sharing she will be doing with us. Um, the guest is uh, Avara uh, Yaran, and uh, she is uh, a, she calls herself a periodic shapeshifter. Uh, she has a film degree, a spiritual uh, counseling license. And uh, she's explored life as a painter, designer, uh, group facilitator, retreat leader. She's a plant-based chef uh, and a nutritional educator. And um, for two decades, uh, she has had a romance with the island of Bali, uh, initially as uh, the manufacturing hub for her line of jewelry and handbags. And uh, she later dreamed up two plant-based cafes. Uh, certainly this lady uh, has the entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, in the midst of all that food prep, she says um, uh, a trilogy sub, uh, you know, emerged for her. It's called A Girl Submerged, and it sort of took over her life. Uh, she's also written a food column for Inspired Bali Magazine and uh, was recently featured in the, I guess it's pronounced, uh, Bud uh, Writers Festival. So uh, I want to uh, welcome Avara to the show, uh, and we have an important topic tonight that we're calling the antidote to erotic wounding. And um, we're going to be talking with this woman who wears so many hats um, about um, her vast experience uh, about erotic wounding, why it's so hidden in the subconscious, what brings this trauma to the surface, and why pleasure and self-empowerment is so important to the healing process. So I think it should be an interesting and enlightening conversation. So, Avara, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here with you. 
So um, you certainly uh, are wearing an awful lot of hats. Um, it feels like you've squeezed in three lifetimes already. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did you come to uh, dip your finger in so many things? Uh, I think I just have a really curious spirit, and I tend to look at my life as a big art project, and I'm a multifaceted being, as we all are, and I wanted to explore different sides of myself. And, you know, sometimes I've been led there through pleasure, and sometimes I've been pushed through pain <laughs> to change. And um, But always wanting to explore the creative and seeing the connection of the creative and the spiritual and and the sexual, which is what we're going to talk about. Right. Um, well, you know, I uh, I heard about you because you were going to be giving a presentation at uh, the Goddess Temple of Orange County uh, in the Museum of Woman there in Irvine, California. And uh, I was really intrigued with this idea of erotic wounding. So, um, you know, let's uh, just start at the beginning. Uh, what is an erotic wound and um, why is it uh, often hidden in the sub- Conscious. Does that mean we don't know we're wounded? I think we have um, varying degrees of awareness of our woundedness depending on our experience. So, an erotic wound is the result of some kind of inappropriate sexual behavior. And it can be more subtle due to confusing behavior. And it can be very overt based on something invasive, um, an attack of some kind, something um, something very painful. And an erotic wound can occur at any time of life. It can be happen in childhood and all the way into adulthood. Um, in my work, I'm focusing um, in, in my written work, I'm focusing on erotic wounds that happen in childhood. And um, what happens in childhood is that we don't really have the tools or the help to process what has happened. And it's inappropriate for adults to have sexual encounters with children. And so that often gets shoved into the subconscious. And with an erotic wound, it's not simply that we have um, a sense of pain around this, that, that which is sexual. It really goes into the core of who we are and under, undermines our, our sense of ourself. It undermines our sense of confidence and well-being on a really basic, fundamental level. And many, many, many women are carrying an erotic wound and many men as well. So I'm coming from the standpoint that sexuality is natural and that the erotic is meant to be joyous and uplift us. Um, but unfortunately, in our world, we have many unhealthy, wounded people perpetrating what is really like an epidemic of sexually inappropriate behavior. Um, I, I have a line in my second no- novel that says, 
you know, that this kind of sexual abuse is more common than the common cold. And I do believe that that is true. And um, so I'm talking about the kind of sexual behavior where someone is perpetrating a, a, a sense of power over someone else, often involve coercion or um, subtle or overt violence. And I, I don't think that we have more of this going on now than any other time throughout history, but we are developing an increasing awareness of how vast the scope of this sexual impropriety is. And um, did you want to ask me something, Karen? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you you have this trilogy uh, called the Girl Submerged Trilogy. Um, are these anthologies or um, are they three volumes of your own? It's three volumes of an ongoing story, and only the first one has been published. The um, second one is complete but not yet published. will be coming out probably late this year, early next year, and the third one I'm still working on. But it's a continuation of the same story and the same characters, and yet each book really stands on its own. Um, The first novel is very much about uncovering buried sexual trauma and initiating a, a, a big wave of healing through a loving relationship and the resulting spiritual awakening that happens. And the second book revolves so largely the, around. It, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the the second book revolves largely around what happens when someone becomes a whistleblower in the family, and what happens when okay. things are being revealed that others want to remain under the rug. Yeah, people don't like whistleblowers. Whistleblowers upset the apple cart. Um, believe me, I I know. Um, so, is this a fictional a fictional account that you're using to kind of get this um, problem out into the public domain, or uh, is it semi autobiographical? Well, it it is fiction, absolutely. Um, the main character, Serena, is not me, but the story is told in the first person. And um, so sometimes people think that she is, is me, but she's not me. Um, okay. It, however, as an author, I, we, we take our personal life and sort of, I, I see it sort of like a quilt coming together. Little bits and pieces, squares are sewn together. And then, it, and other squares are added that are not from my life. So, semi-autobiographical. Yes, I I know this material. I know this territory. I couldn't write about it if I didn't. But this right. story is is something that just started pouring through me. I did not seek to write it. I had to write it. It just literally started flowing like uh like coming through like a geyser, and I had to write it. Was there something in particular that uh, was the catalyst for that uh, that uh, cracking open, uh, you know, when it poured out of you? Well, it wasn't necessarily as the result of something specific that happened right then, but I have been looking at all of these issues 
in my own life and doing so much healing work on myself for so many years. And I did experience sexual abuse as a child, and so I speak openly about that when I have the opportunity such as this to talk because I really want to participate in removing the shame from this. The shame is part of what is most debilitating about this kind of erotic wound. And um, I've done enough work on myself that I can speak openly about it and freely and feel good about it. And I also, as a counselor, have worked with many, many people who have experienced sexual abuse as well. We tend to attract who we are and what we have experienced. And so I've had a lot of that coming into my professional life as well. So all of that adds together, I think, to prepare me to write these books. And I think it was just okay. time for the story to come forward. When I started writing, it was before the Me Too phenomenon. And yeah, I, I, would I, say I that figured as much. Yeah, but much of what's come out as a result of Me Too in the media are men in positions of power, highly visible men who have um, done sexually inappropriate things. Um, What I'm writing about is still very much enshrouded in shame and um, secrecy, and that's what happens in families behind closed doors. So let's... Let's um, let's look at the erotic wound a little bit more, um, and and if we can, you know, um, I don't I don't want to get too explicit, um, but it sounds like it's kind of a on on a spectrum um, from something subtle to something overt, uh, and I think we all know what the overt things. Uh, are. But what might be some of the subtle things um, that we might not even think of or recognize? Um, well, I'll tell you just a couple of examples of things I've encountered with clients or um, someone who was body shamed by her mother repeatedly so that and it, and it tended to happen at times where she was feeling um, an attraction to someone, you know, in a, in a very childlike, innocent sort of way. And then she would be put down for um, the shape and size of her body. And so she developed a wound in her sexuality that didn't come about through rape or molestation but it's more of an energetic erotic wound. Um, There's another example that comes to mind, which is sort of like um, like an energetic incest, where a father favors his daughter over the mother, and there is a dynamic in the family where um, it keeps her as an adult from fully experiencing her sexuality in an adult way. Um, But most of the people I have encountered have had more overt sexual wounding than that. Okay. So um, what usually brings this subconscious uh, erotic trauma to the surface? 
Well, what happens with any kind of wound that's trapped in the subconscious is that on a soul level, our, we, we want to keep bringing it up on, on a conscious level. We don't want to bring it up at all. On a conscious level, we want to keep it shoved in the dark and make it go away, um, usually to the point where we've hidden it from ourselves, which is part of what what's a very important part of the movement. But on a on a soul level, on a subconscious soul level, we replicate the emotional dynamic of the experience, and we recreate it in our lives through using other people and other experiences that still hold that same emotional dynamic. And it's really for our benefit. It usually doesn't feel like it. It's usually something that doesn't feel good at all, but on a soul level, it's it, we're creating it so that we can face the original trauma and face the original emotions and through that begin to integrate them in a way that we, we weren't able to initially and thus it got stuck in the subconscious. And so how okay. we get triggered is through these experiences and if we're not very awake and aware to our own inner world, we sort of feel like these things are happening to us. But the more conscious we become, we realize that somehow we are generating these experiences. And usually there's kind of a repetition to them. It's like, oh, not that thing again. And um, if we become... If, if life either brings us to our knees or we become really desirous of change, we start to become willing and open to face it. And then things will happen in such a way that the what well, had been some subconscious will pop up into consciousness. And it, it takes a lot of courage to to allow that to happen. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that because. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, we all want to avoid, uh, you know, pain and discomfort. And uh, um, so it, it, in terms of healing, is, um, is, is there a process that uh, you find works? Well, I think the process is different for each person or how the, the trauma comes up is different for each person. Um, I have worked with a lot of women who have experienced sexual abuse of some kind, um, you know, from childhood sexual abuse all the way to adult rape experiences. And it tends to be very comforting to be in the presence of other women and other women who have also had those experiences. Um, it's, It's usually... I mean, there, there can be one big dramatic healing incident where the subconsciously trapped material rises to the surface, but it can often be, usually be step by step, bit by bit, a piece here, a piece there, and it's sort of like putting a puzzle together. And um, many people find themselves being sort of like Sherlock Holmes and tracking the clues and... When 
it comes together or when there is a big burst of the subconscious material coming to the surface, there is so much clarity that it is absolutely undeniable to the person who is having that experience. It is like the sword of truth just cuts through all the denial, and there it is. And I know for myself, I thought once that I found the thing that had been bothering me, you know, and I had felt from childhood that there was something wrong with me, but it was really just these experiences that were held in my subconscious. And I thought once I discovered what they were, that it would all clear up. But um, sometimes it, it feels worse for a while. Very raw. Right. Very, very, ex- feel very exposed. But over time, well, I- allowing this to come out is liberating. That's really important. Going through it is difficult, but over time, it's liberating. Well, I think I saw something in your um, in your writings uh, about pleasure and self self empowerment maybe being keys uh, also to the healing process. Absolutely. So the healing healing is indeed a process, and um, I do feel that it's important to recover the buried memories. But then where do you go from there? And I think that pleasure is the key. And that pleasure is really medicine. So sometimes I feel like I just teach the obvious. I had I was teaching about nutrition and plant based food for many, many years, still am. And I feel like it's just I'm just teaching the obvious. Eat organic plants, but it's it's actually kind of radical, and it's the same thing with pleasure. Pleasure is the antidote to stress. Pleasure is the antidote to trauma, but that is also kind of radical, especially feminine pleasure, which has been squelched and suppressed and mm-hmm. trampled upon for so many centuries. And is still considered a very radical thing. Um, but I believe in the power of pleasure to put us in tune with ourselves as a as a self-loving act, and um, that our pleasure is holy and sacred, and it contains healing power. Right. Well, and and I can see why um, Ava, the foundress of the Goddess Temple and the Museum of Woman, asked you to speak over there because this is kind of one of the tenets of um, uh, of teachings of uh, of goddess and the sacred feminine. You know about uh, you know sacred sexuality. You know restoring it to um, a place of reverence instead of you know how patriarchal religion has you know made made sexual pleasure a thing of shame. And you know I've said it a lot on the show, and I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's so important. And maybe this is obvious too. 
Uh, however, I sometimes I think the most obvious things we don't always realize. You know, it's easy to let them sort of just float right over our head um, because you said, uh, you know, about pleasure. You know, it, it should be obvious that pleasure is a good and holy thing. And I've been talking about how, you know, we have been conditioned to accept uh, abuse and sacrifice as noble things um, and, you know, hold them higher than, say, pleasure, um, you know, or or self-empowerment or some of these other things. And uh, I don't know, call me a conspiracy theorist, but I almost feel like that's a weapon of the dominator culture to keep us down, you know, because if we're feeling good about ourselves and, uh, you know, we are less... um, um, you know, less able to be manipulated uh, and, um, you know, maybe abused and oppressed. And um, I don't know. I just don't think, you know, maybe it's the age we're living in right now with so much in the news, uh, but it feels like, um, you know, they would rather have us scared, small, and afraid um, you know, and uh, willing to be a doormat than standing up proud, um, healthy, uh, and in pleasure. If I don't know, does that make sense to you? Absolutely, and I agree with you. Um, and I, but I do see more and more and more women um, owning their sexuality and really pursuing their spirituality and um i i see more and more women cultivating their pleasure like really making that a lifestyle and so i by by that i i mean not only sexual pleasure but just pleasure the pleasure of living and there can be i mean sexuality isn't just about physical touch and sexual intercourse, but there can be this sort of romantic, sexually alive, awake energy in the ways that we live our lives and doing things that really bring us alive. So I think women who are coming alive, that is women standing in their pleasure and those women are empowered and cannot be a doormat won't happen right um <clears throat> excuse me um so is uh, talk a little bit about that cultivation though um it, you know in your uh girls submerged book or um i, I don't know if, if it's in there uh but you know speak a little bit about you know how you can cultivate um, you know that inner radiance or uh embrace pleasure what, what you know what do we do different you know and um you know than than maybe we've been doing i I just like to see that cultivation of 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 a woman's inner radiance as a kind of an art project or an art form and it's like any art form, you you just keep practicing it for the joy of it. You keep coming back to the keyboard or to the violin for the joy of the music. And so there's a kind of of inner music that we all have. It's it's really like an inner romance that's not dependent on anyone else. And 
as we cultivate it, we can share it with someone else when we choose to, but it's not dependent on anyone. So it's not like a kind of romance that comes to us when someone brings it. It's it's a romance of our own life and doing what makes us feel good. Uh, we, we can court ourselves. And um, that process is going to be different for each woman, but it's a it's a process of a woman valuing herself and prioritizing her well-being, so that how she feels matters. And choosing okay. friendships right, well, and lovers who embrace that. Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break, um, and uh, we're going to come back. And if you're just tuning into the show, uh, our topic is uh, the antidote to erotic wounding, and my guest is Avara Varon, and she is the author of uh, the Girl Submerged trilogy. Uh, first book is out. Uh, second one is coming out soon. Uh, it's a trilogy of erotic novels. And uh, she discusses the epidemic of uh, erotic wounding and how pleasure uh, is the antidote. Uh, And we're going to come back um, after this this quick word uh, from uh, Joe Carson. Uh, I want to go ahead and share uh, a clip, especially for those of you who feel called by the fairy faith. Uh, You should listen closely. Uh, This will be about Joe Carson's book, Uh, celebrate wildness and uh, that will be coming up here in just a quick minute Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about henges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful, and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work, it's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
Well, I actually did an oopsie. Uh, I hit the wrong button. Uh, so what you were just listening to was actually a clip from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia, and uh, it's available at dancingwithgaia.com. But I promised you, uh, especially those of you who are called to the fairy faith, that we were going to talk about her other book, Celebrate Wildness. So uh, Joe gets... Um, uh, a second commercial tonight, uh, so uh, please uh, give this a listen. Thank you. Celebrate Wildness has practical instructions on how to make your own fairy ring hinge, how to magically restore any place to its original wild harmony, how to feel the shapes of the earth as if they really are a part of your own body, and even how to initiate yourself into the fairy fairy path from early Ferraferia member, John Beggs. What a beautiful, inspired, and inspiring book this is. The text is a delight, augmenting, interpreting, and celebrating the drawings that the singer sometimes adds another dimension of understanding to a musical composition. It has the glow, glory, and joy of a masterpiece. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It is written by filmmaker Joe Carson, who made the film Dancing with Gaia. You can get it for $25 from the Ferraferia website at ferraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. So just to clarify, Joe Carson's magical book, Celebrate Wildness, is available only at the Ferraferia website. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And um, we've been talking tonight to Avara Yaren about um, erotic wounding. And um, before we went to commercial, uh, she was telling us about uh, how a woman might cultivate her inner radiance and embrace pleasure. Um, and Avara, I just wanted to make sure you um, said everything you wanted to say about that before we move on uh, to some other things I thought I'd ask. Oh, I'm glad you came back to that. Um, yeah, because I want to say that it it can be as simple as just peeling a tangerine slowly, sensually, taking in the scent, the texture, the juiciness. Or it could be playing with a dog or walking on the beach. Um, dance, of course, is a wonderful way for women to cultivate their inner radiance, especially spontaneous, authentic movement, allowing the body to have its way. Allowing each movement to bring pleasure, but it's really the concentration on pleasure, the priority of pleasure, that um, is a way of cultivating the radiance. And then, of course, there is also sexual pleasure and really embracing it as sacred and beautiful and um, healing and life-giving. Okay. Um, Well, you know, I'm wondering what you think um, a sexually healthy world would look like compared to what we have now. Mm -hmm. Well, this is 
um, part of what I'm exploring in the novel, Girls Submerged. I'm exploring the problem, but I'm also very much exploring solutions. And in the case of the novel, it's a love story, and it's all the ins and outs of a exquisitely intimate relationship and what it brings up for healing. Um, and then I, I like to envision for myself and in all of the talking engagements that I, I've had, um, wh- I pose the question, what would a sexually healthy world look like to people? And they're usually kind of stumped. So I would say that um, I think that sexual health would mean the ability of everyone to enjoy sexual pleasure with themselves or with others. And that everyone deserves to have a healthy sex life, which means having sexual pleasure without pain or shame or guilt or as duty. And enjoying sexual pleasure as a routine part of your life, as an added benefit, and um, that it reduces stress and decreases pain and heals old trauma. So what are the steps in bringing this about? Um, I think it's essential that each of us really gets to know ourselves. It's really about intimacy with the self first. So this is the, the path that my character Serena walks in the book, Girls Submerged, is she goes through many steps along the path of becoming intimate with herself and then is able to share that intimacy with someone else. And then in that relationship, it becomes even her own intimacy becomes even more dynamic. So I think we have to know ourselves. We have to know ourselves on every level. Physically, we have to embrace our body as sacred. Our body is our best friend. It is the only friend who walks through absolutely every single moment of our experience with us. And we need to educate ourselves about our body's anatomy and, um, I mean, in general, if it wasn't until the 1990s that a female urologist discovered what the clitoris really looks like. It's not just a little tiny <laughs> nib. It's, it has gorgeous wings that extend throughout the vulva. Um, we need to know about our body, but also each of us has a unique body. And we all have nerve endings closer to the surface and more deeply buried and different shapes and we we just need to learn our own body and honor and appreciate our own body. And then mentally we Well have if I can really... just jump up Sure. Go ahead. If I can jump in here for a second. Um, You're reminding me of um, those uh, sort of consciousness-raising groups of the 70s, and I don't know if they're still doing them, but uh, maybe we should be if we're not, where women would get together and, uh, or or alone, either way, uh, and they actually take a mirror and look at uh, at their yoni and their vulvas. 
you know, to kind of get acquainted because, you know, it, it's uh, something that we, you know, we, maybe we have amenities every month, but aside from that, you know, we don't really have uh, an intimacy with it or a relationship kind of, if you will. Um, and also, too, uh, you reminded me of one of my guests that's going to be coming uh, back on the show, I think next month, and uh, a French woman by the name of Lilou Mace, and she has a book out on yoni stones. And I thought, wow, that would be uh, a great way to, um, you know, to, to start to develop that, that intimacy with your body. And finally, the third thing, and, and then I'll throw it back to you, uh, this idea of what would a sexually healthy world look like. Um, I'll offer a tidbit of something I said on the show here a long time ago, and I forgot what the topic of that show was about, but we were talking about sexuality. And I said, imagine a world where when a young boy or a young woman comes into puberty, they actually have a mentor that teaches them how to enjoy their sexuality. I mean, even if that means... Um, um, you know, teaching them, you know, how to pleasure themselves, you know, the best ways or the the multitude of ways to, um, you know, have sexual intercourse. And, uh, and it wouldn't be something that, you know, would be taboo or, you know, you're fumbling around uh, for the first time on your honeymoon night or something like that. You know, you it would be something that was cultivated from a somewhat young age, you know, age appropriate, of course, um, but you would actually learn about your body and giving pleasure to yourself and someone else. Yes, I think it's really important in the... Um I think we are really stumbling along in the realm of sex education. Um, I know in Bali, some of my friends and I were kind of creating something for ourselves and for our daughters um, that, that it touches on much of what you've said, but we as a culture do not have a system for dealing with that. And um, I think it's so important. You know, the real the real things of importance about about life, just how to live life are not usually what's addressed in school at all. Um No. So no, you're right. So the and next I mean I would just yeah, go ahead. Go right ahead. I was just gonna say I was gonna the next category I was gonna go into is is um getting to know yourself mentally and um the power of thought is something also that would be we'd be wise to teach children in school but we don't generally yeah well, you know, it, you know, to that idea of, you know, the important things aren't really taught in school, uh, I mean, I'm taking a compassionate integrity class right now, a 10-week class, and it's so obvious with what uh, what's going on in the world. It should be uh, a course that's taught uh, in grade school, you know. I mean, Rianne Eisler's uh, Center for Partnership Studies, you know, every she, everything she teaches there about the power of partnership should be uh, something that's in the curriculum. Um, how to parent, 
should be in the curriculum. You know, how to uh, manage money should be in the curriculum. How to have good sex mm-hmm. <laughs> should be in the curriculum. You know, um, it's, yeah. you know, not that the yeah. things that are in the curriculum aren't important, but, I mean, we need to, um, I think, develop more well-rounded people. And then maybe we wouldn't have such dysfunctional, disturbed people out there. Yeah. And um, I think that sexual, the lack of sexual health is um, at the root of a lot of the dysfunction in our world, a lot of the neuroses uh, and worse. So I do think that if we get to know ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually, if we really make that a priority, really become aware of our programming in all those categories and find ways to transcend it and um, really value our spirituality, really value our sexuality and allow the beauty of desire to be there that um, we can create a more sexually healthy world. And that's very much, I think, the purpose of that I... In, in writing the Girls Submerged trilogy and why I was so inspired to put this story to to the page um, because there's so much confusion well, about yeah yeah certainly uh, certainly a topic uh, that needs to be explored and I think your timing is certainly right um, you know so I, I look forward to uh, your second part of the trilogy coming out is it are the titles just girls submerged one two and three or do they have subtitles and where where can you find the books um they do have subtitles um but they're that i um the first book is called surging tides but it's small on the cover and girl submerged is what is large on all three books um the first book is available on Amazon and um, it's gotten really good reviews. Um, the the thing that I wasn't seeking but has so it kind of surprised me but um, the most common comment that I've received is that it's really a page turner. I think it's it's really engaging. Um, I know Girl Summers is very much in your face from the very beginning. There is some a lot of discomfort that the character goes through from the start, and it's really a story about sexuality and a woman's journey with her own sexuality and coming out of abuse and into her own empowerment, her empowerment as a person and her sexual empowerment. So it's uncomfortable at the beginning, but it gets very, um, becomes a celebration, and it, it is um, erotic literature, so it's pretty juicy and fun. I mean, it really is a study of a woman uh, discovering her pleasure. Well, I'm imagining book clubs popping up all over. <laughs> It kind of, you know, uh, you know, probably better than Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) Yes, this is not about an abusive relationship. Although I do think there is a redeeming quality to that story, um, because it is about the character's 
healing. Um, and it's about the power of love. And this is also a story about the power of love. And it's more intricate. Um, I think this is better written. <laughs> um, and um, and I really wanted each book to be able to stand on its own feet. So um, mm-hmm. I kind of feel manipulated myself as a reader when I'm reading a trilogy that feels kind of arbitrarily cut into thirds. This is three mm-hmm. individual books that stand on their own, and yet it, I, I, I'm hoping that everyone is engaged with the characters and, and really wants to know more about them, and so they keep reading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now I'm actually, I'm very late, very, very late getting to the series Clan of the Cave Bear, and um, I'm actually pleasantly surprised with it, uh, because at first when I heard about Clan of the Cave Bear, I thought it was for, for young kids or preteens or something and now that I've gotten into it and uh, you know it's it's you know during the time of uh, you know it's 40,000 years ago during the hunter-gatherer days uh, you know when people actually were worshipping a feminine face of God and sprinkled very liberally throughout uh, is um, you know how the men and women enjoy the pleasures of the goddess and you know when they go into great detail and uh, um, you know, I can imagine that, uh, you know, before, you know, uh, institutionalized religion and shame and all of these other factors, you know, came onto the scene that, um, you know, it might have been like that and uh, and maybe, you know, could still be again with, you know, good writing like, uh, like yours, Avara. Uh, thank you for putting these books out there in the world. It, I, it was so much my pleasure. <laughs> Writing these books has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, the This story pummeling through me was so joyous. It really was pure pleasure. Even though parts of it are difficult, there was something very pleasurable about writing it. And I really experienced it all as I was writing it. I saw it visually and I experienced it in my psyche, in my body. So I feel like I was there and I was in it, and yet it's it's fiction. It's all it's all made up. Um, yeah. And it the first book takes place. It starts in Los Angeles, and then it takes place on four islands in Indonesia. And since I was living in Bali, it was um, Bali is a part of it, but um, a lot of it takes place in other islands as well. And um, so it's kind of a tribute to to Bali and um, this bit of a feeling of the travel log. And there, you know, as a as a foodie and a chef and a restaurateur, I have a lot of food descriptions. And I remember asking my editor. If she felt like it was too much, like is there too much description of food? And she said, "No, I like it." And I said, "Oh, good, because I do too." <laughs> so it's very well. You know, um, your your the your, books are very sensual. Mhm. Well, and you're you're reminding me of Eat, Pray, Love. 
you know, uh, to to a certain extent. Um, uh, it you know, it, it not that it's exactly the same, but some of the things you said describing it, and uh, and look how popular that turned out. So, um, you know, I, I wish you well. You know, I, I hope uh, one day we see you on the bestseller list, and uh, you know, your your books become uh, the phenomena that uh, some of these other books we've talked about tonight um, have. Um, well, um, Avara, I, I think that. we're about done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but put it out there into the world, you know. Uh, you know, make Absolutely. make your desires known. <laughs> uh, well, um, just to, well, to finish, just to finish, I want to say that um, I have left Bali and with my daughter, and I'm currently living in Los Angeles. I've been here a few months, and um, I'm working as a chef and a caterer. And my dream is to see my books turn into film. And I've met a producer already who I'm in discussion with and a woman director who wants to do women's empowerment stories. And, and we'll see what happens. But it's part of the what brought me back to living in L.A. Part of the journey. Well, you were in the right place, and I certainly um, wish you the best of luck. Let me know how it all turns out, and if you get any new news, um, or when your second book is actually out, you know, and you want to talk about it, uh, you know, come back on the show next year, and we'll remind listeners about the trilogy. Thank you. I would love that. I really appreciate you having me on, Karen. Oh, no problem. Um, well, uh, that about does it for us for tonight. Uh, thank you for being on the show. And um, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there for their listener loyalty throughout the years. And um, I just want to remind them to go to my website, KarenTate.net. And uh, if you feel so inclined, if this show has been one of the springs that feeds you, uh, I would like to invite you to make a small donation of any amount to help keep the show on the air. Um, I guess that about does it for me uh, You have a great holiday Avara And uh, I'm sure I will be talking to you In the not too distant future Thank you Karen I look forward to that Okay Alright then uh, That about does it for us tonight listeners uh, I hope you'll be back with me next Wednesday Good night <laughs>